Hello folks, my name's Jeremy Ambrose and I have with me the wonderful Jovina Graham. Hi folks, nice to see you. And you are listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. And Bishop, we have a great question lined up for you today. First of all, can you tell us, there's this new translation that has just popped up in our, our mass. Why? Why has this been the case? I think many people have been a bit surprised by the fact that suddenly the church has said we want to re-translate all of the, uh, the, the liturgy of the Mass. The reason was, as you're aware, in the Second Vatican Council there was a revision of the liturgy and, and originally it all came out in Latin and then all the different um, language groups were asked to translate into their respective languages. When it came to English, there was uh, consideration of how would you translate Latin, which is an ancient language, and many of the, the, the prayers and texts come from very ancient times, right back to the 3rd and 4th and 5th centuries. How would you translate that today? Now, the argument was put forward, look, it'd be best to translate it in a way that people could clearly understand it in today's language, in today's culture, in today's background. So they used a technique called dynamic equivalism, which was basically to say, we'll look at the ancient text and then we'll try to translate it in a way that's most clearly understandable today. And so, as I think all of us have experienced, the, the Mass as we know it today is, is very easily understood. The, the words, the concepts are very natural and, and easy. However, there was a problem. And the problem was that such an approach weakened the deep richness, the historical significance, often the scriptural references were, were not as clearly recognized and some of the beauty of the ancient texts and ancient faith was lost and so there was a consideration look I think we need to re-examine how we went about translating and so you'll as you've probably noticed that new words are used often um, there are particular concepts now being presented which are a little bit foreign to us but there's an effort now to capture the ancient faith of the church, the ancient way in which the church prayed. Hmm, so is, is that why we have, and with your spirit now, rather than, and also with you? Exactly. Because it's, it's a big difference. And that's a very good example. I think that's the one that most people stumble over. I know when I say Mass today, I get half the congregation saying, <laughs> and with you, and the other half of the congregation saying, and with your spirit. And I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm guilty of saying, and also with you. <laughs> I haven't got it yet. I just can't get it. And every now and then there's some furious looks as people look around saying, what, you didn't get the right one? You said the wrong thing. The old lady in the front, she gives me a death stare every time. <laughs> that's right. It, that'll be a little bit of confusion. It'll go on for a while as people struggle to get used to it. That's a very good example of, of, of the application of dynamic equivalism because in the first, when you say, and with you, it was taking the actual original Latin, et cum spiritu tuo, and saying, just taking your spirit and translating it as you. Now, it actually wasn't what was in the original text. And indeed, if you go into a, a mass in French or in Italian or, or in Spanish when we go to World Youth Day, yeah. you'll hear it, you'll hear the words, and with your spirit. It's, it's firstly saying it's not just a, a familial greeting, the same between me and you, you know, saying, g'day, how are you going? What we're saying here is, is may the Lord be with your spirit. It's, it's, it's immediately taking the liturgy to a spiritual level. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's a good example of why the translation 
is as it is now. It's more faithful to the original Latin and it captures a deeper reality. This is a spiritual union that exists between the priest and the people. It's not just, we're not just good mates celebrating Mass. Something that I've been wondering, um, a lot of people I know, a lot of faithful Catholics have been going to Mass for, you know, have had this Mass for 30, 40 years, and they know it really well. And you mentioned before that it was easily understandable. And now that they've introduced these sort of foreign, more mysterious concepts, how would you suggest that they, they adjust to this? Because I think some people are really struggling with the idea that they're, they're talking about, you know, like the Jewfall and things like this, th- things that are not as easily accessible to them. I think one of the good things that these new translations offer all of us now, right now, is that suddenly we're caused to stop and think about what we're saying. You know, we've become so used to a lot of the phrases, a lot of the ways we, we, have, we can tend to rattle them off, can't we? We, do, we just know we them so can. well. Yeah. Now, one of the benefits now is it causes us to stop and look. Now, why do we use the word dewful? Why do we talk, talk about the face of God? Before we just talk about coming to union with God, now we talk about the face of God. These are more faithful, as I said before, to the original text, and they often carry with them deeper underpinnings of meaning and significance. And so often these words can draw us to look more closely at the meaning of things. Like one example could be when we say now, uh, Lord, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. That's obviously a reference to the text where the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy when he came to ask the Lord to to heal his servant. So what it does is take us back to the scriptural origin of what we say just before we receive Holy Communion. And straight away we're invoking a particular moment, a particular story, a particular scriptural passage that can remind us of what actually happened in that incident. So if you like, the new translations offer us a chance to explore more deeply the meaning and significance of what we say. So I think that's an advantage. Even if we say in the creed, consubstantial with the Father, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it certainly that's is, a, yeah. That's a mouthful. But, but then you say, why are we using that word? What does that word mean? It has actually a deep and profound meaning that was grappled with and nutted out in the early church. Now, maybe you won't understand it straight away, but then it becomes something that at some stage you'll try to find out or you'll finally hear a, a sermon from a priest who explains it to you. <laughs> mm. But all that's enriching our faith. All that's taking us a little bit more deeply into our faith. And I think that's an advantage in the new translations. So anything that's new that strikes us as a little bit different in the new translation has a deep, rich, laid meaning behind it. And, and there's always something to be found. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And even if you don't grasp everything immediately, that's all right. It's always good, it's like anything, it's always good to have some things we don't know so that we want to go further. If we think we know everything, we just do become a bit used to it and just go on, you know? Uh, So I think there's a great advantage. Yeah, and a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. To say, why? Why do we use that word? What's the meaning of that particular phrase? So Bishop Julian, there's some words in there like consubstantial with the Father that you can't miss, you know, it's, it's, it jumps right out at you. But then there's some words in there that, you know, blink and you might miss because they seem very small or, or we as a congregation might not even notice them. For example, can you tell us about uh, the words of consecration being changed from all to many? Yes, that's one that's caused a great deal of, uh, of debate because the words as they stand are professing a profound truth that we all know, that Christ's death on the cross was for all, not just for many. 
And that's true, that Christ died for all people of all time. However, the words that are in the liturgy and indeed are in the scriptures is the word multos, for many. And many people, many people <laughs> said, shouldn't we not translate that as many because it tends to think that Christ's death was restrictive, that only certain people would benefit from Christ's death. Right. And, and so it did cause a good deal of debate and, and I think many people feel that uh, we really should say all because it seems like we're being restrictive. You know? But the fact is, the scriptures say many, the liturgy says multos, many, and so uh, it was something actually that Pope Benedict um, did put out a question to all the bishops of the world about it. He was concerned about this question and the decision was made that we should say faithful to the original scriptural text and the original translation which is obviously faithful to scripture that's found and so the word in latin is multos so we translate as many now that doesn't mean then that christ's death was only for some and not for others we understand theologically and it's very clear in many other scriptural passages that christ died for all the way we can understand it is there won't be everybody who will benefit from it because they won't accept that salvation mm -hmm. so People will, will receive the salvation because they have embraced it, they have accepted it, they've come in to receive it. So Christ did die for all, but those who will actually benefit from it are many. I was really captured by something you said before. Did you say Pope Benedict put out a letter to all the bishops of the world about yes. this aspect? Yes. He, so he, he did consult bishops, he, did he? Got, he consulted all the bishops uh, a number of years back and asked for their opinions on this matter and that helped guide the decision that was made. Wow, that's amazing. You learn something new every day. I know. So did Pope Benedict do this all on his own or did it take an afternoon's work of him sitting down with the translation and working it out? Or how, how did this all come about? Well, because it has been a, a an issue not only in the English-speaking world but generally across the world because there, there is a there was a body of opinion to say, no, we should translate it as all because that's what it means. You know, that you know, Christ died for all. And, and as I said, there's many other texts to refer to that. Mm. So it was a problem, not just in the English translation, but more generally. And so the Pope said, well, let's consult about it and we'll get the opinion of bishops across the world. Then he has legislated now to say it should just be faithful to the original text for many. Well, thank you, Bishop Julian. I mean, I think that's clarified the question for us. And I can promise you, next time I go to Mass, I will be trying my best to say, and with your spirit. Well done, Jeremy. Thanks, Bishop Julian. Jeremy, did you know why we use the word good for Good Friday in the Easter liturgy? No, Bishop, I just thought it was a good idea. <laughs> Oh, dear. Thank you, Jeremy. Let me explain. In, uh, we have to go back to Old English. So, so a fair way back, so back in the medieval times in England, the, actually the word that we used for what we now call Good Friday was called Lang Friday, which actually means Long Friday. Now, possibly that was because the good Catholics in those days, when they went to the liturgy on that day, the day of the crucifixion, there was a very long liturgy. So we think that they're probably reflecting the fact that they went to the longest liturgy of the, of the year, maybe. And so they call it Long Friday. However, in centuries that followed, the 
word Good Friday was word was often used in English at least, and um, I think the main reason that they used that word was because it was good for us. Christ died on the cross, so it, while it's obviously a tragic event and a very sad event, we very conscious of what Christ suffered. We know it was all for our good, for all for our benefit. And so they say, this is a Good Friday for us, what Christ has done for us. So that's where the word kind of came into language. Actually, in Europe, the word tends to be used Holy Friday. So we don't use, so the word Good Friday is more or less restricted to the English-speaking world. But in Europe, they tend to use the word Holy Friday for the, the day commemorating the Lord's crucifixion. Wow. Thank you, Bishop. A piece of interesting information. Indeed. Oh, I'll write that one down. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit credio.org.au.